Hi, this is Sarah Brown, and you're listening to All Things ADHD. This afternoon, we're here with Harris Finkelstein. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. I've been a psychologist for over 30 years. My specialty is attention and learning issues. And one of the things I do a lot of is working with parents, families, and schools to evaluate the nature of attention and learning problems and to make some suggestions about what might help. In terms of like a behavior plan? So what I do are comprehensive psychological evaluations. Uh Psychological evaluations really look at children in much greater depth than sometimes we're able to ascertain through simply observing them or asking questions about them. Mm -hmm. And so a good psychological evaluation is able to understand things about how a child thinks, learns, processes, feels in a way that might not always be clear just by simple observation. Right. So if I was a parent and you were going to do a a evaluation of my child, what would I expect? So what would likely happen is that I would gather relevant background information first. I'd want to hear from you about your experiences with your child right now, and I'd want to hear about your child's development over the years. I'd also want teachers to weigh in. I might give you some questionnaires to give to them. I'd like you to fill out some rating scales and teachers to fill out rating scales. And I might also visit your child's school, with your permission, right. and sit in the classroom and, and, and see your child. Uh-huh. I also would want to spend some time talking to your child and asking some of the very same questions. What do you find that you're good at? What kinds of things are harder for you? What do you like? What do you not like? And kind of get the child's perspective about what's going on. And how old can you? How old are the children that you normally work with? Well, I work with children anywhere from preschool all the way through medical school. Wow. So... Um, In all cases, I think children have a lot to say, even Mm -hmm. when I meet with a four-year-old or a five-year-old. They have their viewpoints and opinions about what's going on. My sense often is, after doing this for a very long time, that if you ask the right questions, you can basically get a child to tell you what's going on. Right, right. So... So my, I'm, a, I'm a parent. I've sent my child to you. What will I expect? I mean, you've done the assessments. You've talked to the teacher's child. What do I get? So the crux of the evaluation, what makes an evaluation unique, is that then the child is presented with what we would call a series of psychological tests, or what I would call to the child a bunch of activities. Mm-hmm. The rationale behind psychological testing is that you're presenting a series of tasks that each require the child to think and process in a somewhat different way under standardized conditions so that when you're looking at a child in a classroom or at home, you're never quite sure. Is it the child? Is it the teacher? Is it the other children? Is it the brothers and sisters? Right. Right. When you're doing psychological testing, you say the same thing in the same way to the child on each and every occasion, and you see what you get back. Mm -hmm. A good psychological test has a whole set of norms, which are basically the level of responses that typical children have produced to these very same responses. Right. And so by presenting a whole variety of tasks to the child and seeing how they compare to typical children, you can start to build a profile of what are their strengths and challenges. So then can I go to the school? I mean, would you be the person that would diagnose my child with ADHD? So we can think of the test data as sort of the raw material. 
And so what I would want to look at is what do these test data tell me? What do the observations that I've made or teachers or parents made, what do they tell me? What does the history of this problem look like? My job would be to put all that information together and to come up with a conclusion. The conclusion may be a diagnosis, or it may be something that's more like a description of this child. Mm -hmm. This child has these strengths. This child, this child has these challenges. A way that might work with this child is to teach them in a certain way or respond to them in a certain way. Or something that may not work very well at all right. is to respond to them in a different way. If the data showed that my child had ADHD, would you be the person to diagnose him or do I have to take him back to a medical doctor? So I would diagnose the ADHD. Uh -huh. So based on all the information we just talked about, I would make that diagnosis and tell you what type of ADHD or what presentation that was. Now, some school districts might also require a pediatrician to certify that diagnosis. Uh -huh. A lot of that depends on regulations. But what I will say is, is when you've gotten that diagnosis, you've gotten an important piece of information, but you don't have all the information you need. What you also want to know is, based on that diagnosis, what else can I understand about how my child processes his or her world? Mm -hmm. How do they take in their classroom setting? How do they understand me as a parent? What is it that leads to the behaviors that I've been concerned about? Mm -hmm. So it's not just do they or don't, have the, don't they have the diagnosis. It's way more than that. It's more understanding the nuances of my child's processing. So does this give me different information that I then if I just went to a, a pediatrician and they said, oh, yes, this is a checklist, you, your child has ADHD, the information I'm getting from you would include more in-depth of what I can do to help my child with ADHD. So the diagnosis based on checklist is a fine starting point. It's good to know that this is what we're dealing with. But it doesn't give us any information about how to deal with these issues. So on the checklist may be things like forgetfulness mm -hmm. or dislike of tasks that require sustained mental energy. But just because a child has that, we don't know what we're going to do about it. Right. When we do the psychological testing, we look at things like, how well does this child sequence? Can they take a task and break it down into three or four steps and accomplish a goal? Well, if they can't do that, that may be a reason why they're having difficulty organizing. Right. So now we have to work with that underlying process to get them to do better with that. Right. Especially when you hear the saying that if you see one child with ADHD, you see one child with ADHD, which means, you know, you giving all these tips may be a better way to get or help your child. That's right. So there are many, many different presentations, and ADHD is just part of this larger picture mm -hmm. of how they process. So one of the things that we often find in a psychological evaluation is the child may be so hyperactive, so disruptive, or so impulsive in their thinking that they don't demonstrate what they're fully capable of. And so if I put them under standardized conditions, I get them to relax, get them to be comfortable with me, we make it sort of playful and game-like. Right. And then I start to see, wow, you know, this child can exhibit these capabilities, but maybe only under these certain conditions. So if I can just give you a quick example, sometimes sure. I want to see how well can a child pick up visual details? And sometimes I'll have children who are not so good at it, but only 
can do well if I give them more time to do it. Ah. So they may look very limited in the standard amount of time that's given. If you give them a little more time, they can look better or even actually quite adept at it. So now we start to see we're working with a child who actually can be quite alert and observant, but if we cut off that process too soon, they'll look like they're not noticing very much of anything. Right, right. Oh, that's interesting. That, and that helps you as a parent be able to understand that, you know, my child takes longer to do things, but he can do things. That's right. So sometimes as parents, we all get into these cycles of we've been there and done that so many times that we almost start to anticipate how the child's going to react. Right. And we may not realize if we step out of that paradigm a little bit, maybe approach the child differently, maybe give them either more time, different conditions, or just talk to them about their process, we might come up with a different result. Right. In terms of getting qualifying for special services, what what do we need from you to qualify for that? So it's an interesting question because traditionally what will what schools will be looking for is a discrepancy between the child's abilities and their achievement levels. So if this is a child who has average ability but is performing below average in reading, that might qualify them. Um, the problem with that way of looking at it is, first of all, you have excluded all your young children. So if I'm a first grader, how far behind can I really be? Right. Um, and the other problem is, what if you have a high ability child and they're reading at an average level, but they really could be capable of a lot more. Mm -hmm. So that also excludes that issue as well. Right. So I like to look at it a little bit differently, and I think increasingly school districts are as well. Let's take the fundamental skills that go into reading and look and see how is this child doing with those fundamental skills. And if there's a breakdown there, that might qualify them for services. Uh So just to give you a quick example, if a child is struggling with reading decoding, they can't read the individual words. If it's purely an attention issue, maybe they're just not paying close attention to it, and we have to help them with that. But maybe they can't even hear that the word has all these sounds. Right. If they're looking at the word stop, but they don't hear stop as having one sound, uh, as having four sounds. They think of it as having one sound. Right. Well, then the letters on the page don't make any sense. Exactly. So now we've got to intervene in an entirely different level. So even if that child is showing close to average reading skills, mm-hmm. that child should qualify for intervention because they're lacking that foundational skill. Right, right. It's is that qualification for IEP or a 504? Yes. Wonderful. So, so um, in the case of a child who's really needing a different type of curriculum that maybe teaches in an entirely different way, they may need an IEP that puts them into classrooms that allow that to happen. Wonderful. Maybe a child that could learn in a more traditional way but needs just a slightly different approach or some modifications or some accommodations, uh, that child might do well with a 504 plan. But I think a, a note to parents, having one of these plans provides safeguards and guarantees to you as a parent that the school will provide these kind of interventions right. so that you're not fighting the same battle year to year. And then having this evaluation supports the need for that IEP right. and, and your child helps your child in the long run. So in a way, the evaluation is sort of part of that gatekeeping function. Mm-hmm. And so if you get a really good evaluation, you then have access to all these services. Right. What I would say is sometimes when evaluations are not done properly, they don't zero in on what are real issues, but they look as if they're giving a full evaluation. The child comes up looking average, and then we've overlooked some real need. Right. Is an evaluation covered by insurance? So, 
very often evaluations are not covered by insurance mm-hmm. or what they will cover is very limited. And so there's pressure to keep the evaluation limited in scope. Uh. Um, even school districts um, have a lot of children that they have to serve. And sometimes the ratios that are set up between how many students each school psychologist and each school counselor is responsible for sets the stage for these very quick evaluations. Right. And so parents have to be alert to that. It may not be ill intentions from right. the professionals, but there may be other factors that are causing them to give these more cursory types of evaluations. Gotcha. Gotcha. So that's even though you may have to pay for the psychological evaluation, it may be that's where you can get the appropriate information that you need for your child to succeed. Well, one option might be to pay for an evaluation that maybe is broader in scope. The other is that maybe a parent can become a more knowledgeable advocate for their child Uh, so that when the child is referred for evaluation in the school, maybe the parent can contact the psychologist and hear them out. So exactly what are you planning to do? And what areas of my child's function are you planning to assess? And how are you planning to assess them? A parent doesn't need to know the names of all the tests, but may do better if they just have sort of a sense of what areas need to be assessed and how might the psychologist go about that in the best possible way so that when they hear the information back from the psychologist, they know if they're getting really a comprehensive evaluation. Right. What would your tip be? So first of all, my tip would be is understand that learning is composed of a variety of different processes. And you you can get knowledgeable about that pretty quickly through a little bit of reading. But for example, learning is composed of a language piece. There's a visual piece. There's a memory piece, which is often forgotten. Mm -hmm. There's an eye-hand coordination piece. There's a sequencing piece and an attention piece. So there's probably about eight different functions. So one of the things you want to do is to hear that the psychologist is going to look at all those different functions. Uh, okay. The other thing that, that you also want to make sure is that the psychologist is actually giving testing to the child and not simply collecting rating scales. So a very common limitation in evaluations, particularly in schools, is the rating scales get passed out to parents and teachers, and the evaluation, so-called, will come back as basically a whole bunch of numbers based on rating scales. Ah. Well, that's basically just rehashing observations that people have made already. It doesn't provide new data. So parents need to be very alert to that. Rating scales are fine and they should be part of evaluation, but you want the psychologist to engage with your child and develop new data that tell us more about how your child is processing. Well, thank you. I learned a lot. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to another episode of All Things ADHD. Stay up to date on the latest ADHD information by connecting to Chad's social media page at chad.org slash social. That will link you to all of our social media channels, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, Pinterest, and YouTube.